flames are pouring from the buildings now. There's cars toppled, buildings entirely just crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I I really need to leave. So the fences informed me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I I see some people running now. And the opinion of this reporter, if this nation, or in fact the world, ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. episode of the Fire and Water Podcast, the official podcast of AquamanShrine.com and FirestormFan.com. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag from Firestorm Fan. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the zippiest Rob Kelly from Aquaman Shrine. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing well, and before we even get started, I just want to clue the folks in at home. Just before we started recording, I got to overhear Shag talking to his daughter, and I would like to say, I wish he would maybe reserve a scintilla of the cuteness and sweetness that he reserves for his child, for me and the rest of the show. I'm just saying, we get none of it here on the show. Because it was like a completely different person I just heard talking to his daughter being all sweet and loving and snuggly bear and I hope you go to sleep, sleep and stuff like that. And then when he gets on the mic with me, it's all just insult, insult, insult. So there, I'm just putting it out there. <sighs> okay, Baldy. You know, you got, you got it out of your system. See, there we yeah. go. <laughs> right there, proving my point. Well, folks, uh, we are back for another great episode. We Last time we had Luke Giaconetti on the show, and uh, it was apparently received very, very well. So uh really enjoyed talking about Hawkman. This week... He keeps his badge for one more week. That's right. That's right. <laughs> he's on the edge still, but he's, he hasn't gone over yet. Uh, this week we've got a stack of new comics. We're going to tackle one of those. We're going to talk about Aquaman, number 21. Woohoo! Yay. And that... Wow. There's some enthusiasm. I was drinking water. Uh-huh, that's what they call it. Hmm, something else clear, probably, and odorless. But anyway, so in the back half of the show, folks, we are going to start a new segment of the show where we cover a Firestorm book. And in this case, we are going to start with The Fury of Firestorm, the Nuclear Man, number one, from 1982. <laughs> As Homer Simpson would say, ah, uh, pointless nostalgia. <laughs> Simpsons reference. <laughs> Got it in. <laughs> All right, tell me about this guy that talks to fish. Well, we want to do our we want to we want to talk about in stock trades first, don't we? Well, yeah, we do. Okay, yeah, yeah, we yeah. need the money, people. 
Um, <laughs> uh, I want to talk about in-stock trades, the, something they have for sale. Uh, I'm not going to bother trying to tie it into Aquaman because there's lots of other cool stuff. Uh, something I wanted to mention was um, DC put out a series in the mid-2000s called Solo, which was a, um, a series of 48-page, you know, like sort of extra-length-sized books, and they were all – each issue centered on a different artist – so one issue was about Darwin Cook, one was about Paul Pope, one was about Tim Sale, and they just let those guys just kind of do whatever they wanted for an issue. So the the each comic had like short stories, and some of them they were written by the artist, some were drawn, just entirely drawn, but they were all focused on, you know, an artist per issue. And they, it was a really eclectic series and featured a lot of really cool stuff. And frankly, it's the kind of series that was different that we all bitch about saying – DC Marvel should publish more of, and then nobody buys it when they did make it. Um, I bought every issue of Solo when it came out. It only lasted, I think, 12 issues. Anyway, it's collected in a hardcover. It's called Solo Deluxe Edition Hardcover. It's got a great uh, cover by Mike Allred of the 60s TV show Batman. Um, you can get it at Instock Trades. It's a hardcover. The normal price is $49.99. Instock Trades is selling it for $27.49. That's 45% off. Um, there is a ton of of great stuff in Solo. So if any of you just enjoy great comic book art and fun anthologies, give Solo a try. It was a really, really great book. You know what's crazy is I'm I'm on the site right now, and in the right-hand side, it says top seller number one. It's that book. That's how I saw it. I was like, wow, I didn't even know they collected it. I really didn't know it was ever been collected. I'm so happy. I'm actually, even though I have all the solo issues, I'm seriously concerned buying this just to have it in one between two covers because I really, really did love that book. Very cool. Well, I'm going to promote a book also not connected to what we're going to talk about today because it's just darn good. I mentioned it just briefly last week as something I was reading, and I finished it uh, a couple days ago. Nexus. Folks, you guys, uh, if anybody out there remembers Nexus, it was an independent book through the 80s, written by Mike Barron, everyone knows Mike Barron, and drawn by Steve the Dude Rude. Steve Rude, one of the best artists in comic books. Uh, It's a great sci-fi series. It's about a, a guy who's sort of tormented by nightmares. In these dreams, he's compelled to go out and kill mass murderers. So he's taking vengeance out on these mass murderers, and it's a really great constructed story the art is seriously i mean there's not a lot of guys out there that can draw as good as steve rude and this is some of his best work he was the top of his game and it's just super fun too so this sucker this book is collects issues one through three of the original series and then two through eleven so you're talking about 15 issues here it's 416 pages and now this version is done by dark horse and normally you'd get it for twenty four ninety nine, but with in stock trades they've got that special discount right now at forty five percent off. You can get it for thirteen dollars and seventy four cents. That is a hell of a deal. So um, I highly recommend Nexus Omnibus Trade Paperback Volume One. Give it a try, folks. That's N E X U S. You won't regret it. And if you buy two of them, I think it becomes Nex I, because Nexus plural would be Nex I, wouldn't it? I think we covered that last week. Oh crap! Did I reuse the joke? Oh well, yeah. What a strange change of event, change of events for this show to reuse an old joke. <laughs> I feel like David Letterman. Anyway, uh, so again, folks, uh, thanks to InStock Trades, your, who is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to forty-five percent off with free shipping on orders of fifty dollars or more. So please go out there and take a uh, visit them. That's InStockTrades.com.
All right. Uh, as we talked about earlier, we're going to cover Aquaman number 21, which came out this week. Uh, it is Yes, it is The Death of a King, Chapter 3, by Jeff Johns, Paul Pelletier, Sean Parsons, colored by Rod Reese, of course. And Aquaman it was created by uh, Morton Weisinger on the Downlow and Paul Norris. Um, after the uh, month off that we had with the little visit from the others, this picks up at the uh, number 21 picks up at the end of where number 19 left off, which is this guy Neerus, I guess is how you pronounce his name. It's N-E-R-E-U-S, so I'm going to say Neerus, um, who claims to be Mira's husband. Now we learn, well, on page two, we see that he uh, sort of takes some liberty by planting a big smooch on her, which he doesn't seem to like. Uh, luckily, we learn in the very next page that they are not, in fact, husband and wife. They were planned to be married. It was sort of like he was, they were, she was betrothed to him, but they were never officially married. So, thankfully for that, Aquaman is not actually uh, Mira is not actually cheating on Aquaman. We then follow Aquaman, and we see that he catches up to the Scavenger Sub in an, an amazing uh, display of strength. He tosses the Sub out of the ocean into the sky in a great two-page splash. Uh, again, of course, by Pelletier and Parsons and Reese. It crash lands. He breaks into it. Unfortunately, the scavenger is not in there. He has escaped, and he's communicating to Aquaman via some sort of little telescreen. And we see that he's launching uh, his plan, whichever, whatever that is, as we'll find out later on in the issue. We also see we, there's a lot of cross-cutting in this book. Uh, we also cut over to Volko. Volko wants to speak to Aquaman right now because he senses something big is happening. We see a surgeon an Ulanian surgeon operating on the one soldier that um, the scavenger was experimenting on in the previous issue. She's trying to figure out what exactly the uh, scavenger was doing with this guy because he seems to have some sort of strange wounds. Aquaman comes back. There's another scene with Merc, who once again is talking about how he's going to rescue Ocean Master. Just get on with it already. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, Neerus and Mira get into a fight. She starts using her hard water powers against his men. When that is all interrupted by the ice giant, who shows up and freezes them all into these little blocks of ice, Aquaman then shows up. Aquaman and the ice giant prepare to fight, and it's at the uh, final couple pages of the issue. Uh, it cross cuts between four or five dozen different scenarios, showing all the different scenes. The surgeon figures out that the strange object buried inside the uh, Atlantean is a homing device, and we see that the homing device is what. Oh, okay, yes. We found out that the humming device was planted there, of course, by Scavenger, who was using it to discover where Atlantis is. And the final page is a full-page shot of Scavenger's subs attacking Atlantis with the phrase, Atlantis is ours. And it says, next, without a king. Um, After the last couple of months where I thought where the book was sort of meandering and and kind of losing focus, I thought this one was a lot of fun. Um, I think it moved a lot. It, had, it, it crammed a lot of story into 20 pages, which is great. I felt like there was a whole lot going on. It was very exciting. Everybody got some good stuff to do. Aquaman finally got to take center stage after a couple of issues where he really didn't have a whole lot to do. Um, the sequence of him throwing the sub, I think, is great. It's a really, you know, wonderful display of his, of his raw strength, which I thought was great. And then he tears into it with the tribe, and he tears open the hull. Um, well, that it's your kapow moment of the book. Yes. You get the full two-page spread of him yep. throwing the sub. Yep, yep, yep. And um, on art-wise, I think that Pelletier is, you know, getting better on this book. I don't mean to, like, sort of give him a back-end compliment, but I think he's been getting better as issues goes on. Uh, if you look at page three, which is the one where, you know, Mira says to Neris, we were never married, the final panel of her 
looking at him where he says, what happened out there, Mira? And she goes, I met someone else. The look on her face is fantastic, the way he drew it. Like, she has this sneer of, like, you know, look, man, I'm sorry. I'm not with you anymore. And, you know, I think we've all been there. Uh, it's a great, great shot. And it's a nice little character beat, you know. I mean, it's not a big action beat. Um, but Peltier is good at – is getting better at, at all those things. So I was really – Really happy with this issue. I like the scavenger. They're turning him into kind of more of a badass, kind of a sort of a bigger villain, which is good. Aquaman needs it. Can't all be mana and ocean master all the time. Um, <laughs> as I mean, scavenger, scavenger was a bit of a joke in the old days. He was. He was absolutely. Yeah. I love. I love his look. Even though they made his diving suit look more retro, it just looks that much cooler. Yeah, I love the helmet where you can see his face through it, and like all the little scalloped edges that kind of look like shark's teeth. Uh, it kind of gives it a little slightly nastier look. I do wish... Well, that's, but that's always been there. That was always a scavenger's that's look. That's true. I, that's true. I, I, I mean that, like, rather than making him look all modern with a neat, slick helmet, it actually looks larger, like an old-school, yeah. almost, dive helmet. So it's it, it looks retro in that way. Um, yeah, the, the scallop teeth, I was definitely a throwback to his original costume, but I just meant the, the clunkiness of the armor actually makes it look even cooler. He looks bigger and bulkier. Yeah, he looks like a, what, Takamak? Oh, he does a little bit, yeah, yeah. Um, the only part of it I didn't even, I even, you know, was a little weak on was Merc. Merc is absolutely my least favorite part of this book. Every, I think, like for the past four issues, he said the same thing. Every issue. Uh, where's your loyalty? My loyalty is to Orm. Then just do it already. Like, right. now at the end of the book, he finally surfaces onto the, onto land. So it felt like he's finally putting his threats into into action but man just get on with it already and i look forward to merc being killed off in this book i really hope that they just kill him off we see that like aqua girl is torment or tula as she's called <laughs> yeah she'll be aqua girl eventually tula is very conflicted about this which is good and so you know i think we could setting up for merc will end up getting killed off in this by the end of the storyline and tula will become you know like a regular supporting character which i am totally in support of um, it would be great to have Tula back, even if it's not the same one from the original series. Um, the, in that same scene, there's a neat little touch that Pelletier put in here that I really like. There's a shot of Orm in prison. Right. And he's, and he's just kind of sitting there leaning on something. Well, he's leaning on a sink, and the sink is running water. And if you think about it for a moment, oh, it makes sense in Atlantean he would probably stay near the sink quite often and continually replenish his own water, you know, like either by putting his arm in there or whatever he's doing, he's, he's trying to stay close to water. So I was like, oh, that, that makes sense. I didn't think about that. No, yeah, I didn't either. That's a nice touch. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think Paul did a really good job. And, uh, the color looks great. Like I said, Rod Reese is always, you know, does a great job. But, um, yeah, I thought this was a really solid issue and a, a nice sort of ramping up the, of the action. Um, I'm happy to see that Aquaman and Mirror are in the same space on the last couple pages, which means they'll finally be together again. I think um, I understand the motivation to separate them for a little while. They'll build up some tension, but I'm looking forward to them being back in the book sort of together um, as they should be. So, and, I, and like I mentioned, I think the last, the next to last page, which consists of eight panels uh, showing cross-cutting all the different action um, across all the uh, various places this, this, story, this story is happening is really effective. I think it was really, really quite uh, quite well done. And so I'm real happy. I was real happy with this issue. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm now I'm super eager to see the, the next issue. And I think next one might be the last one. I don't know. Nope. No? Wraps up in 23. 23. 20. Okay. Only two more. Not too bad. Yeah. Okay. 
So that second to the last page you mentioned, the one with the eight horizontal panels? Yes. That is quite possibly one of the best constructed pages I've seen in comics in years. Mm. Like, I felt so much tension. Yep. And, I mean, literally felt the tension and felt the pressure and felt like it getting to a breaking point because of that page. It's just like, boom, 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 boom. You know, I can almost feel the music and the, and the, and the beat getting louder as each, page, each panel came. And it was just like, oh, my gosh, it's all hitting. Oh, my, oh my God, it's all tied together. You know? Yes, yeah. oh, really so very well done. When I read it the first time, I was like, wow, this was a really effective sequence. And I don't know how much of that is John's and how much of that is Pelletier, but it doesn't matter. But he's delivering. I mean, he's trying to, you know, he's obviously pouring a lot of his heart into this book. Um, and I think he's doing a, doing a nice job. It cannot have been a, uh, a fun thing to replace the, 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 the guys, the boys, if, you know, after this after this run on Aquaman. But the, him and Parsons are doing a really good job. And, and of course, Rod Reese. Uh, only uh, helps helps matters uh, helps matters out. You know, there's a couple panels because I like weird stuff. There's a couple of panels panels that really jump out at me that I really like. Um, one is it's not. I'm sorry, this part's not a panel. It's just kind of an effect. But when Aquaman rips open the sub and he goes in, and he's talking to Scavenger through the monitor, right? The the monitor is at is at a perpendicular angle mm-hmm. to. The center of gravity, or, or or where the you know where the floor is of the ship, because it's on its side, right. and that's such a nice touch. And it even looks like it's rotating more, so maybe almost like the sub's still rolling or moving. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just a really nice touch. And then there is one panel that I really like, and it's again such a strange thing. But again, it goes back to that panel with your with your buddy Merck. <laughs> with, with Merck and was it Scrat? What's his name? Is he the same name as the, the guy from the guy from Ice Age? Scrat? No, SWAT. Okay, uh, and 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 uh, Tula on the very bottom of that page. There's three panels across, mm-hmm. and all three of them are great, really. Uh, but the middle one just really grabs me. You got Merck, who's kind of got various shadow effects on him. You got SWAT, who's completely in shadows, and you got Tula, who's completely in light, and it just it's it's almost impressionistic, but it's just really I love I love that panel. There's a little Mike Mignola in there, um, actually yeah, more yeah. than more than a little Mike Mignola in there. Yeah, it's a really handsome looking book. I was you know uh, a couple people or uh, mentioned in the comments uh, feedback from previous episodes that I would have been sounding a little glum in previous shows, and I didn't necessarily think so, but maybe that's you know entirely possible. But you know, I I really want this book to be good. I mean, it's selling very well, as I as I mentioned in the previous episode. It sold out. It outsold every Superman comic in May, which is like fantastic. Um, so I want this to be a good book, and I want this to book to be around, you know, forever. And uh, you know, I have some issues with with the whole you know going back to Atlantis thing. I feel like you know maybe we should have stayed away from that, or at least shouldn't have gotten back to it so soon. But the story's picking up really well. I'm really happy. I'm excited to see how it wraps up. And then we move on to another storyline and, and Aquaman and Mirror will be reunited again. So, you know, they had a little bit of a, of a lull period, but now it's picking back up near the end, which is, you know, how those stories are supposed to be paced. So, uh, yeah, I thought it was a really, really solid book. I'm, uh, I thought it was great. So I wonder what Death of a King is talking about. Is it talking about the dead king? Is it talking about Arthur? Or is it talking about maybe Neris? Because he's, he's, he seems to be the de facto king of Zebel. Right. So, makes you wonder. Now, Dr. Rodon, 
like that scarring she's got on her face. Yes. Do we know where that's from? Is that something new, or have we seen that, that before? Uh, well, I mean, there was a character. Uh, well, no, that's Rodan. That's a different character. No, this is, as far as I know, this is an all new thing. Okay, all right. I just the scarring was so prevalent that it's yeah. like looking at. It, I'm like, should I know what that's from? Is that like a Atlantis attacks thing or whatever? Do we know that that's even scarring? I mean, it could be like a scale thing. She could be some sort of like fish type thing going on. Oh, oh it could be a or a kelp thing. Yeah, maybe right. she's got you know like kelpy stuff. I don't know. Yeah. It looks like scarring because like her hair is missing in part of it. Right. It looks like a burn mark, actually, is what it looks like. But I don't know. So, you know, the big surprise was that Mara uh, was married to, well, you know, Professor not married to Professor Niles Crane's wife. Who knew? What? <laughs> it's an incredibly vague uh, Fraser reference. Where are you getting Mara? Where? Did, where oh, Naris and Maris. Oh, wow! I really had to work <laughs> for that one. Uh, yeah, yeah you did. I'm, I'm very happy to learn that they were not actually married. I'm just yeah. glad that, you know, it was a little bit of a cheat, but who cares? It's, it's comic books and it was a cliffhanger. I, I'm just glad that, uh, that uh, you know, that she doesn't have to actually say, yeah, I was married, Arthur. No, she wasn't. She never was. It's great. And I said my favorite panel is that, that shot of her down at the bottom, the I met someone else. I think that's, I just love that face he drew on her. Again, there's some shots where, where Pelletier stuff looks like Alan Davis, which, you know, is meant to be a compliment. Um and that's one of those panels. That's, to me, that that sneer is an Alan Davis face, and um, I really love it. I just I love the way her hair is flowing in the water, and like I said, I'm super excited they're going to be reunited again. I want to see them together, and and I want to see them next to you fighting the ice giant together, and then going off and having adventures. That's what I want. Or making babies, whatever. No, so. no, I don't want that. I definitely well, I want. <laughs> I, I, I hey, if they want to do the process, that's fine. I just don't want them to have any. Babies. <laughs> So three years, they've locked it down. She's only been in Man's World for three years. Yes, which is, you know, understandable with the whole she's not familiar with humankind thing. That's really not all that long, yeah. really, when you think about it. And you're, and you're sort of right. It kind of hurts me to say, but uh, Zebel is, in fact, in the Bermuda Triangle. Mm-hmm. But it does, in fact, also appear to be sort of like a pocket dimension or something at yes, the same time. The, the Bermuda, it's like, yeah, that's where the portal is, is in the Bermuda Triangle. That's a fun idea that they build their whole society out of all the wreckage from all the stuff they find. That's a fun, yeah. that's a fun idea. By the way, uh, serious props to Rod Reese, colorist. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you go to the page where, you know, it's uh, a little more than halfway, I think, because mm-hmm. uh, they're, they're not numbered, where her and um, – Narrates are kind of going at it. He does the water hands at her, mm-hmm. wraps her up with the water hands. She breaks out. I'm no traitor. All that. Mm-hmm. If you look at the coloring, it goes all the way, like splashes around in out of the frame into the white space because Mara has a has a corner shot that's outside of a panel. Right. And it's just wow. I mean, that's so cool and subtle and just beautiful i just i love that kind of subtlety because it's not really in your face mm-hmm. and, and i didn't notice it until i was like what's on my page oh no that's intentional and the, and the whole color palette for the underwater scenes i mean he's always done a great job with it but here with the ice and everything too oh, just yeah. so well done yeah i don't know i whoever wins awards for best colorist and whatever comic book awards there are they should be going to rod reese i mean there's a lot of great colors out there 
as we know, High Fly Color does a great job, and there's some other uh, the, the guys who do Hawkeye, whoever does that book, that's really beautifully colored. But I mean, Rod just just really kills it with this book. He really really does. Are you reading Hawkeye now? No, but I've seen pages from Hawkeye, and I think oh. it's beautiful. It's a it's a beautiful to look at. I mean, let's say there's lots of lots of really beautifully paintedly painted colored comics, but but Rod does such a good job. He's such a part of this team, and he re- I, I'm so glad that he stuck with the book. You know, I really yeah. think he helped, gives it a visual continuity that really helps out. So yeah, I was really pleased with this one, and uh, you know, it'll I'll buy the trade and get ready for the next adventure. Woohoo! All right. Well, speaking of cheats, um, <laughs> I, I won't spoil it for people, but there was a big cheat in Justice League of America recently where Catwoman, uh, I think the whole comic book community has heard about Catwoman taking a cap to the head in JLA last month. And the big reveal there was a pretty big cheat. Uh, I won't say what it is. I'll let you guys figure it out. But what did happen in that issue was we were promised that in JLA number five, we would find out who was going to be the opposite number for Firestorm on the Just League of America. Because the whole deal there is the Just League of America is designed, put together for the specific purpose of taking down the Justice League. So who on the Justice League of America was going to design to be taken down Firestorm in the Justice League? Well, they didn't actually come right out and sh- tell us. Like, they kind of told us they were going to. But a new character did make an appearance, so i got to assume that is the person, in fact, that's joining the team to take out Firestorm, and that would be Dr. Light. Yeah. So... <laughs> really? Nah. Really? No, nah, I was totally sarcastic. Okay. And folks, we're not going to talk about Justice League because they didn't publish this it week. this month. What? They didn't publish it this yeah, they... month. No, well, they, they put out okay. a Shazam comic and they had, they slapped the wrong logo on it. Is what happened. <laughs> uh, okay, we'll go with that. That's fine. <laughs> That's fine. And for some reason, they skipped number twenty-one then as well, didn't yeah. they? Just... Yeah. Uh, it's those wacky guys over at DC. I tell you, they're crazy. Those guys are nut jobs. Anyway, so real serious thumbs up for Aquaman this month. Couldn't be happier. Uh, really feels like if, if they could, if they could hit some more like this, then the books got a long life. Yep. They just need to avoid the longer storylines. They need to avoid the drawn out fill in type stuff. And and they and they'll this book will do great. Yep. Number seventy six. Here we come. <laughs> Good luck with that. Okay. Uh, so we're going to take a break. Uh, like we had in a previous episode, we're going to hear a couple of uh, fun Super Friends PSA so we can all learn something. And there will be some little self-serving ads as well. So I hope you enjoy all that. And uh, you'll join us on the other side for the Fury of Firestorm, the Nuclear Man classic, as we're calling it. <laughs> we are? Okay. Yeah, I decided we're calling it that. So. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. All right. See you in a minute. Some sports are fun to do alone, but swimming is not one of them. Help! Somebody help! Swimming is one of the things you should never do alone. Always swim with a buddy. That way, if you get in trouble, there's someone around to help you out. I'm sure lucky you showed up, Aquaman. Thanks. Sure thing. But next time... Swim with a buddy! A lot of times when we're not thinking about what we're doing, we put things in our mouths and chew on them. It's a habit almost everybody has. 
And it's a very bad one. Lots of things around the house and yard that kids put in their mouths and nibble on can make them very sick. Plastics and styrofoam are especially dangerous, so remember, they're not for chewing. Pass this tip on to your friends, too. Nineteen thirty-seven. To keep the increasingly threatening Third Reich from achieving a supernatural doomsday weapon, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt secretly turns to soldier of fortune, adventurer, and World War One hero Ace Kilroy. Ace Kilroy is a serialized webcomic that launched on Halloween night, twenty eleven. The co-creation of writer Rob Kelly and artist Dan O'Connor. It was nominated for a twenty twelve Eagle Award for favorite webcomic, and Kelly won a twenty twelve Philadelphia Geek Award for comic book writer of the year. Ace Kilroy features. Adventure, horror, mystery, political intrigue, and romance. Join the fight against evil. Visit AceKilroy.com. And we're back, folks, from break. And uh, as I've said on previous shows, please definitely, definitely consider supporting Ace Kilroy. By supporting Ace Kilroy, you are also helping to support this show. It would be appreciated, folks. Thank you very much. Yes, absolutely. And now, folks... For our first installment in Fury of Firestorm Classic. Hey, doesn't that sound great? Just, it does. That sounds wonderful. It does. So, folks, again, this is The Fury of Firestorm, The Nuclear Man, number one, cover dated June 1982. Set your Wayback Machines, folks, to March 4th, 1982. That's the date this thing hit the shelves. And some of you folks probably remember it. So, uh, you've got an amazing cover by Pat Broderick and Dick Giordano, featuring Firestorm, surrounded by uh, his nuclear trademark nuclear swirly swirls. And in the background are a whole bunch of faces, some of which are immediately recognizable, some of them to this day. Match heads go, who the hell's that guy? <laughs> so, uh, but it says, because you demanded it back in his own magazine, action-packed first issue. And this is a production by... Jerry Conway and Pat Brodrick, who are listed as writers, storytellers, artists. So, obviously, this was a very collaborative effort. Inks by Roden Rodriguez, letters by John Constanza, colorist Gene D'Angelo, editor Len Wein, and characters created by Conway and Milgram. Yay! (laughs) It's kind of different to say that when one of the guys is involved in the book. That's true. So, uh, at its very Before you start, hold on one second. Yeah. Yeah. It seems I don't remember creator credits happening that early. I don't either, so that's why I was kind of taken aback as I said it. Were they doing creator credits back then? I didn't. Okay, all right. That seems kind of okay. Well, what, keep in mind Jerry was writing it, so I mean, right. But but that has to go through DC legal though. Like he can't just add that. The you they 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 has he has to get permission because huh. uh, oh there's I guarantee there's all sorts of lawyers. That that because I mean you know I don't think a writer can just say oh by the way I'm going to throw my creator credit and like oh no you're not so that's interesting. Hmm. Well, he was kind of writer editor even though Len was officially the editor. Jerry became the editor. Well, probably not by issue one, but after a while he was the editor as well. Hmm. We'll have to ask Jerry Any, that. That's anyway. interesting. Okay, I mean, I'm sorry, we're getting off time. That's okay. Fantastic that he gets recognized. So. Uh, this, this comic starts off with one of my favorite things. It starts off with a very brooding first page. Firestorm's all sort of lit up and special, almost Frank Miller-like shadows. And it, it gives you a sense like you're reading a Batman comic. It is. It's, you know, it's a very atypical Firestorm splash page. 
I'm going to read just the text to you, folks. It shows New York City and, and like, with a haze over it and firestorms towering over it. It says, sleep gently, New York. You are guarded, well guarded tonight. Tonight, a hero patrols your darkened canyons and shadowy rooftops, alert for signs of evil at work, ready to plunge into the breach, committed to defend the defenseless, to war on the side of right, to, to, which leads you to the next page. To sleep, perchance to dream, because Firestorm is falling asleep on a fluffy cloud. So I love, I love that it starts off all seriousness and then goes to a joke right away, because that's the nature of Firestorm. Firestorm is supposed to be a fun book. Now, I'm going to go through the, the book kind of in general, but uh, at its core, what this issue is about, it's about trying to give you an introduction to the character if you don't know it, and introduce this new character, Black Bison. So, at the end of the day, that's really what this book's supposed to be about. Even though it seems like a lot of just scenes strung together, that's really what you're getting. So, uh, in the beginning, you get a nice introduction. Firestorm is floating in the clouds, as I said. He's trying to take a nap. He's exhausted. He's had a long day playing basketball, and he went out patrolling, and now he wants to lay down and take a nap. And the professor's concerned about them being up in the clouds, and if Firestorm were to fall asleep, what exactly happens to their powers? <laughs> well, sure enough, Ronnie being an irresponsible dumb jock falls asleep in the clouds with Professor Martinstein yelling at him. Firestorm plummets to the ground and at the last moment makes himself intangible before he splats on the sidewalk and just floats down gently into a subway cab, um, a subway train, scaring the bejesus out of uh, a bunch of the passengers. He has a little bit of uh, altercation with a cop and then goes home and splits off into Martinstein and Ronnie Raymond. And as an introduction to the character, this is a good opportunity where you start to see, oh, Firestorm was one dude. Here's the two of them. Here's how they cope with these issues of being a shared body. And so Ronnie is nice enough to loan the professor some cash so he can get home. Because when Firestorm splits, they split together. So in this case, Ronnie went home, and the professor has to take a cab all the way across town to get back to his lab. So then the next scene is sort of a, a sort of an establishing shot of showing Ronnie having to go to high school and giving you a lot of the things that kids deal with when they're when they're young, you know, the alarm clocks, having to shave, gonna miss the school bus, being tired, all those things. <laughs> then you get in what's that? I don't think I ever had to shave when I was in high school. Well, if you had an after school job, I had to. So Okay. Well, yeah. no, I mean uh, I, I mean I didn't have a beard. <laughs> That's what I mean. <laughs> well, you don't have hair anywhere, yeah, so well, really. Except for that little go- goatee you tape on with super glue every morning. But. I am like a gorgeous dolphin. <laughs> so then we're introduced to uh, the the new character in here, John Ravenhair, which is also known as um, Black Cloud in the Morning is his Indian name. He's a Native American, and he's a, nat- he's a teacher, at, so happens, at the same high school where Ronnie work, or goes to school. And he's... One of the and there's a gentleman living in his house, and that is his great grandfather. Which, by the way, if you do the math on that, that makes that dude really, really old. His great grandfather is living with John Ravenair, who's an adult who looks to be at least thirty years old. <laughs> wow, Grandpa's old. Anyway, so they're living together. Grandpa is outraged still about um, the way the Native American community has been treated. And there is an upcoming museum display of Native American artifacts, specifically to the Black Bison cult, which is their, or um, Black Bison tribe, which was their tribe. And he is, oh no, I was right the first time, it is a cult, I'm terribly sorry. Anyway, he's outraged, absolutely outraged by this. And then there's a, a nice little argument between John Ravenhair and, and, and his great-grandfather about Native Americans incorporating into regular American society and, and the rights and the wrongs of that. 
And it, uh, it, you know, it's, it was trying to be culturally sensitive, and I think it's a nice piece. So grandpa begins to get, great-grandpa begins to get really sick. He gives John a, a medallion and asks him to wear it. That'll be important later, home. Uh, that'll be important later, kids. Then on the next page, there is a really, really creepy ad for something called Cube Lube, which I will just let you use your imagination <laughs> on that. But, I so Ronnie's Cube Lube quite well. <laughs> you use Cube Lube a lot, I bet, growing up. Anyway, go blind doing that. So Ronnie is at school, and he runs, uh, runs into his girlfriend, Doreen Day. <clears throat> Uh, the Get worst over com- it already. My the God. worst comic book girlfriend of all times. Jeez. Anyway, actually, she's quite nice in this one. She's just fine in this issue. <laughs> you just bail on your own thing there. Wait till we get to the issues in like the fifties. You'll be, you know, fifty episodes from now. By the way, uh, you'll be ranting and raving about how much you hate Doreen Day as well. Okay, I'm just put it out there. I'm looking forward. So. Uh, Ronnie runs into his girlfriend, but he also runs into, oh no, that bastard Cliff Clay, uh, Cliff Carmichael. Um, you Cliff almost Carmichael. said Cliff Clavin, didn't you? you I did not said. almost, I did actually say it by accident. <laughs> that would have made an interesting series. <laughs> Cliff Carmichael is essentially a nerd bully. Uh, he is, uh, he's an, he's the nerdy kid in school, the brainy guy, but he's also just always on Ronnie's case. And Ronnie may be a dumb jock, but he's a nice kid. Whereas Cliff is a total jerk. And so they have a bit of a, a falling out here. They almost get in a fight. And the teacher, John Ravenhair, shows up and breaks it up. So anyway, then we get into what is also another piece of introductory, which I think is really well done. Professor Martinstein dictates Firestorm's origin to a recorder. He feels like it's time to sort of have a cathartic moment and talk through Firestorm's origin. So he sits down with the tape recorder tells the origin of Firestorm, talks a little bit about some of their villains, and then for a new reader of the book, this is a really nice introduction to the character. As a plot point, it's incredibly foolish of him to record this to magnetic tape. But yeah. <laughs> that's, some, that's something we'll deal with in subsequent issues, by the way. So, uh, Boy, I'm really going through this at a slow pace. I apologize. I'm just so excited about this book. John Ravenhair's great-grandfather decides to cast sort of a mystic spell, hoping to spiritually get in touch with John Ravenhair through that medallion he's wearing and help him better understand the Native American plight. So he tries to do this, but unfortunately he gets attacked by a couple muggers who hit him in the back of the head and they kill him right at the moment that he is mentally connected with John Ravenhair and it all goes horribly wrong. Meanwhile, at the museum, Ronnie is having more. They're, they're at, there's a school field trip going on at, at this museum where the Native American artifacts are being shown. And Ronnie has more problems with Cliff Clavin. Cliff drops a, ah, He just did it again. Damn it, Cliff Carmichael. <laughs> uh, Cliff hey there, Firestorm. You don't know that the uh, DNA stands for Dames Are Not Aggressive. Uh, that'll have to be a nice joke every month. Um, Cliff drops a frog down Ronnie's back, which one of my notes here is, where the hell did he get a frog from in the middle of a museum? But anyway, so it, it creates some uh, troubles for Ronnie there in the museum. Meanwhile, Professor Ravenhair is really struggling with what's happened with the, the, this connection that's gone horribly wrong, this mystic connection. Anyway, he loses his friggin' mind and is now he's shirtless. I don't know where that came from. Totally ripped, and he is bursting out into the museum and spouting a whole lot of anger towards the white man's world. Talking about how we've stolen their artifacts, we've done all these terrible things, and he starts knocking people around. 
Meanwhile, Ronnie goes, uh-oh, we've got trouble, and he signals the transformation in a firestorm, which, of course, totally hoses Martin Stein, because he's in, like, he's in like a, 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 a project meeting, you know, with a boss who's all really wound up uptight, and Martin Stein has to, like, fake and go, oh, I don't feel well, I gotta go. Runs out the door, and his project manager's pissed. So Ronnie and, Ronnie and Firestorm, I'm sorry, Ronnie and Martin connect, they make Firestorm, and they end up... Um, battling John Ravenhair, who's now calling himself Black Bison. He's from some of the artifacts from the Native American Museum, and he's calling himself Black Bison. And he has sort of mystical powers. He can control the elements, and he can animate, apparently, dead animal statues. So, uh, in the comic, it's pretty cool, and it makes perfect sense. Like, there's a, there's a, a horse, and there's a, there's a lot of animals in this museum represented by the Native American times and, and their culture. And so he reanimates them, and they become animated characters and help him. Like, he rides the horse, this bear attacks, all these things. So Firestorm's battling Black Bison and the after effects of Black Bison through the museum, sitting innocent bystanders, including his girlfriend, Doreen Day. Yay! Oh, wait, sorry. <laughs> we need a little sound effect every time Doreen comes out, like, mm, boo. Anyway, so he, he even manages to save Cliff Clavin, but then. Uh, <laughs> That's it. Oh my God. <laughs> take a he drink. Even, every time Shag says Cliff Clavin, take a drink, people. It's really hard. Anyway, he manages to save Cliff Carmichael, even, but then returns the favor of the frog and plays a joke on him. By the end, Black Bison has gotten away, and. There, Firestorm spends an hour trying to find him to no avail. He's searching desperately for, uh, for Black Bison, not just because he's a supervillain, but also because he's his former teacher that he cares about. He doesn't understand what's going wrong. Meanwhile, across town, we find out that the benefactor of the museum, the one who has donated all these artifacts to the museum, is a Senator Riley. And we meet, so we see Senator Riley at his, returning, to his, uh, returning to his house, and there waiting for him is a young lady, his daughter, Lorraine Riley, who has just been kicked out of school for painting the, uh, the principal's new catalog, Electric Pink. So the father and daughter go into the house, and they're being watched by Black Bison, who says he shall now steal something from Senator Riley. Dun-dun-dun! To be continued in Warpath! So, that's the story. There's a lot to talk about. 25 pages, by the way, in here. And this thing probably has more dialogue than, like, three Aquaman trade paperbacks. This <laughs> yeah. one issue. <laughs> yeah, reading this over again, you know, like after not having read it many years, I was like, wow, they really packed a lot more story in the old days. Oh my gosh, did they pack a lot of story in the old days. I mean, just think about how long it took me to do that recap. Now, admittedly, yeah. I was going kind of slow. But, uh, so, you know, obviously, I'm super hot on this thing. How, how did you, did you enjoy it, Rob? Oh, I did. I really did. I, I, I don't think I bought Firestorm regularly as a kid. I remember buying some of the early ones, and, uh, um, so I was somewhat familiar with it, but this one, I felt like I had, I read it at some point, but I had, it had been a very long time since I, since I did, but it was, it was a lot of fun. It's like a classic first issue of a series. You know, you you've got your character. I mean, the character's already established somewhat. So, I mean, it's not like, uh, Jerry was starting from step one of like having to, you just tell the story all over again, but it's like, you know, you get a reintroduction of the character, you get the powers, you get the setup, you get the personal story. You actually have two personal stories because you have Martin and Ronnie. Uh, then you get an introduction of a villain, you get a fight. I mean, it really, you know, like there's a, there's a ton of story packed in here, but it's, um, I don't know. It doesn't feel rushed. Uh, Pat Broderick does a great job on the art. Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And it's, it's like fun. 
You know, I mean, it, it is what it was supposed to be. Obviously, designed to be was like a fun Marvel book, but done for DC. Um, as you mentioned, you know, like the first page is so sort of self-serious and with that purple prose, and then Jerry completely bursts that balloon on the second page by saying, "Heck, even superheroes need to nap sometime." So he's he's telling readers, he's signaling, you know, hey, this is not going to be an incredibly serious book going on, and and that's uh, that's that was charming then, and I find it sort of even more charming now. Yeah, yeah, you summed a lot of that up really well. It, it is at its core, it's a fun book and and with all the story it doesn't feel it feels organic you know you feel like you're just following the life of a guy or two guys really the, the only person i felt like who kind of got shortchanged to this is martin stein like it's a really good introduction for ronnie not only do you learn about firestorm you get that whole page of him in high school actually you get a few pages of him in high school and you kind of get a sense for who he is martin stein really only got about one page of who he is so uh I th- we, we'll get more in subsequent issues, so I don't feel like he got completely robbed. But I do feel that you know it, it's it's a better introduction for Ronnie. It's a great introduction for Firestorm. Really nice introduction for John Raven here. I mean, I, that's one of the things I like too. Is here you get a villain who's completely fleshed out before he appears on you know in costume. Like I totally get this guy, even before I see him in costume. So that's that's nice that they're able to get the, all, all done in one issue. Uh, some of the artwork, I gotta mention, right on page two, man, there is a shot where Firestorm is starting to go to sleep, he's yawning and all that, and you get the, the traditional floating head of Professor Martinstein, mm-hmm. but it's done in such a way, like, it, the head is friggin' huge, you're looking through the head at Firestorm, and just the, the outlining, the coloring, everything about it, that's one of my favorite Martinstein pictures I think I've ever seen, it's done so well. I don't know if you see the one I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very yeah. nice. I, the, Pat Broderick did a, re- he was a, you know, like a really good choice for this book, and uh, he really sort of kicked its ass. Well, I'm actually you know, after reading Micronauts uh, by Pat Broderick. I gotta say, it's all. I don't want to say he was underutilized in this book because he's not. He, every panel's gorgeous. It's just he's really capable of drawing off the wall sci-fi stuff. So I gotta wonder if drawing a more real world setting was fascinating for him and challenging or was like boring as hell. I don't know, but either way he did a great job because I mean, rather than drawing 18 different kinds of aliens, the micronauts, he had to draw a New York city police car, mm-hmm. you know? So it's a totally different art skill that you need to do that kind of stuff. And he's able to do both, you know, really impressive. Let's see. Um, one of the things I love about this, and this is a, this is a piece that Jerry always put in there on purpose, is how pissed off the professor is at, at Ronnie all the time. <laughs> it's like he's always yelling at Ronnie. If you look and count the exclamation points uh, in all the professor's word balloons when they're formed, there's like a million of them. You know, he's yelling at Ronnie about falling asleep. He's yelling at Ronnie about not controlling the powers. You know, later on, um, let's see, later on when he has to leave the board meeting. You know, and he comes and, and they form to fight Raven here. You know, he's yelling at Ronnie then, you know, Ronald, I demand an explanation. Answer me, Ronald, right now. I mean, he's just so pissed off. And that becomes a trademark of the professor. He's, he's always feels inconvenienced by Firestorm. But, it, it, you know, and I get it, though. Like, I'm sadly 40 years old. And if and Martin's probably 45, 50, you know. And I don't know that I would want some you know, 17-year-old kid dragging me across town at a whim you know, completely at their decision that I have no say in at all, I'd be probably pissed off too. You know, so. I, f- I find it troubling that I'm closer to Martin Stein's age than I am to Ronnie's now. That's, that's <laughs> sad. 
<laughs> it is scary. It is scary. It's very scary. Let's see what else is there. Uh, Black Bison, I think it's a great introduction for him. I, I mentioned that already, but I, I, there's something here that we're going to see in this issue versus the second issue. And I'm going to talk about it good here, and I'm not going to be terribly complimentary. Next issue is, is the animation of, uh, I guess, statues, really, is, or is whatever you want to call it. Animation of dead things. I don't really know how you say it. But in this case, he's animated you know, the horse, the wolf, you know, the, the bear. All that stuff, all the all the animals in in the museum, and I think it's great here. It works perfectly with the story. You know, he's bringing back the Native American culture. It works great. Next issue, he's going to animate some Alice in Wonderland new, uh, Central Park statues. Oh, real? Oh, okay. I remember that now. All right. Okay. Which visually is awesome. It really is. But from a story perspective, it's like. Yeah, I'm not there. All right, I'm not, well, let's I'm not get feeling. To, we'll I'm... get to that next month. Well, you were, you were okay. talking about number two. I want to talk All more right, about. I'm... I want to talk more about uh, Cliff Carmichael's mutton chops a little bit. Okay, do it. Go. Uh, they are very upsetting. Uh, I think they were out of date by 1982. Uh, <laughs> I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not sure. Like the character of Cliff Carmichael never made a whole lot of sense to me, in that he was like an aggressive nerd. And not that there aren't aggressive nerds. I think any of us that have been to a Comic-Con or a comic shop know there are aggressive nerds. But they're typically not aggressive towards jocks. Uh, From my high school experience, a nerd that picked on a jock had a death wish. So I'm not exactly (laughs) sure how Cliff Carmichael managed to make this – how they managed to sell this character entirely. And and like I said, there's a shot where where Firestorm is transmutating the frog in in Cliff's pocket. Um, And like – the middle panel where he's going one hey who's pulling my leg his mutton chop is so thick on the other side it pops off the side of his head i mean he looks <laughs> he looks like edgar Allan poe for god's sakes i think i think pat maybe need to dial that back just a touch of the mutton chop <laughs> i may be focusing well, on a minor detail well uh, here's the deal with cliff carmichael so i got it right that there time you go. he he is he um he's flash thompson that that's how right. this works right yeah but For those of you who don't know, when, when Ronnie Raymond was invented, the, the goal from Jerry Conway was he was creating Spider-Man, but from the opposite perspective. What if Flash Thompson had gotten spider powers instead of um, Peter Parker? So I guess I guess I shouldn't say Cliff's Flash Thompson, but he is to some extent. But what, what you get is you get the jock becomes the super-powered guy, and the nerdy guy, which in this case would be more like a Peter Parker, is the jerk. So Cliff Carmichael's sort of fulfilling the Flash Thompson attitude on Peter Parker's body kind of philosophy. So that's why he's the nerd bully is because it's supposed to be the opposite number of Ronnie. And as you said, we all know nerd bullies. We do. And in this case, I think where you can make the leap that Cliff Carmichael would act this way is because it's all about a girl. Like Cliff? Yeah. I, I would have to go back and reread the very, very first issue. I don't remember whether Cliff was dating Doreen or whether it was just like, that's who he was after, but it all comes down to a girl. It's all about Doreen, that hag, Doreen. Um, it's all about. It's all her fault. All of this. Oh is. man! <laughs> the whole reason Ronnie became Firestorm is because he was trying to impress her. So she just she leads men down a terrible path. She's a terrible person. Her sister is the, is the hyena. I mean, it's just it's all her fault. Everything surrounds around her. Boy, but okay. You'll get there, I promise. Robert Robert Gross is punching the air as I as I sing the uh, the horror of Dorian Day. And he could probably uh, explain this better than me. But 
So anyway, I like Cliff. I think Cliff, uh, Jerry did say in an interview that Cliff sort of became a one-note character after a while. Mm-hmm. But, I, and I don't remember whether this was Jerry or, I think it was Jerry, who actually gave Cliff a little bit of a backstory and you began to understand why he was such a jerk. Had to do with his family, if I remember correctly. So, you know, and we'll get to that in subsequent issues. So there is some bit of explanation, but it's also, I mean, he needed a foil. He's a high school kid. Ronnie needs a foil, so that's where you get Mutton Chop Man. And they make him immediately recognizable, too, though. That's, that is true. He doesn't look like anybody else in comics, that's for sure. <laughs> now, you, um, one of the characters introduced in this story is uh, Raven Hare's girlfriend, who's one of the teachers. And I don't, like, she's kind of a big deal in this issue. I don't think we ever see her again, even though she's, like, the nurse at their school. She'd think that would become, like, a supporting character, so... Hmm. Another another thing worth mentioning is Ronnie's best friend, Jackson, the basketball player. He, uh, I guess he legally has his name changed a few issues from now and becomes Jefferson. Okay. <laughs> it's one president just, for another. What's the difference? They, they just lost track of his name. And, and now that we're reading these one by one, I'll be interested to see when that happens. But at some point, they just lost track of his name and became somebody else. I just noticed. Uh, I just noticed on that uh, shot of uh, on page ten of Firestorm where they turn into Firestorm again, that uh, yeah. Firestorm's uh, sleeve is miscolored. I never noticed that. Look at that. Yeah. Huh. There's a funny bit in here where Professor Stein's doing a big chemical experiment, and you're supposed to think it's supposed to be some huge, huge thing, and he's making a cup of coffee. I love that gag. I, I've seen it many times since, but this I think this is probably the first chronological appearance I've ever seen of that gag. So. Well, all right. All in all, I know I'm 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 hemming and hawing, and I can't seem to stop just because I love this comic so much. It's so exciting to reread it again. I'm so glad we're having the opportunity to talk about it. It's a fun comic. Hell of a lot of story in here. You get a kapow moment of a full page splash of Black Bison. You get amazing art. A lot of characterization. This is a great introductory comic. Now, folks, this is not collected anywhere. I was you just about to it, ask that. No, unfortunately, it's not. And it, honestly, it's a crime that these have not been collected. They did do a Firestorm trade paperback, which collected the 1970 series. They did that right before the launch of the most recent volume of Firestorm. And it didn't sell a ton. I think it only sold like 17,000 copies or something like that, which wasn't enough for them to merit to keep going. Because if they had, they would have started you know, collecting this volume of Firestorm with the Pat Rogers stuff. And even though the original stuff is the original and it's what brought up, you know, gave us the rest of the Firestorm. I think these, this series is the one everyone remembers. Though. This was the title that became one of DC's best-selling books, so you would think it would be warranted for a collection. Yep. Now, there's a great back page here, um, letter column, Nuclear Reactions. It is uh, basically a, a series of little bits written by Jerry Conway talking about how Firestorm, this book, exists because the fans demanded it. Which is really impressive. Basically, they said that you know when Firestorm disappeared in 1978, there was a there was a groundswell of letters and pressure sent to Julie Schwartz and uh, the writers of DC Presents to schedule a Firestorm Superman team up. So they did. Well, that led to his appearance in the JLA. That led to his backups in the Flash, and that led to this comic that right here that we're reading. So which, there, which it's led nice to the cartoon series. Absolutely true. So it's just really cool that they talk about how the fans are the ones who made this comic happen. And here we're sitting, you know, 30 years later, and as fans, we're sitting around talking about it. Very nice. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I really did enjoy reading through this again. And as much as I'm sad that the reason we're doing it is because the other book is canceled, 
Uh, I think this is a uh, this will be a fun replacement. These are these, this was a blast to look through again, and uh, I'm looking forward to getting to the ones that I am a little more familiar with because uh, those were some fun comics. So what what are the ones you're more familiar with? Just, out of Just some later issues, like the the one where the JLA appears, number four. Yeah, I think, okay. I think yeah, that yeah. was the first one I bought off the stands because I was like, at that time, any comic with the JLA in it as a group, I was like, oh, I'm going to buy that. And that's a yeah. really good one, too. Yeah, it's fun. A lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, folks, as, as we mentioned, it is not collected, but you can go online and you can find this in a lot of places. I happen to be looking just at Mile High Comics right now, and I'm seeing this thing on sale. You can get a copy for as low as a dollar and ten cents, or if you want a super-duper nice copy, you can go as high as almost six bucks. So... You can find this, folks. It's out there. I highly recommend you order it. Or you just poke around your comic shop. They probably have a copy. I mean, this thing sold, what, what were the numbers that we heard? Something like 90,000? Something these, like uh, that. I thought so. Yeah. I mean, this comic was huge. And nowadays, so. that would be 90,000. That's like X-Men numbers. Yeah, yeah. So. Absolutely. <laughs> so. All right, folks. Well, that is going to wrap it up for this episode of the Fire and Water Podcast. Uh, you can find Firestorm Fan at FirestormFan.com. You can find Aquaman Shrine at AquamanShrine.com. You can find both of us on Facebook and Twitter at the same handles. And you can find Firestorm Fan on Google Plus and also on Tumblr. Uh, Rob, they can find a, a Tumblr for this show on uh, where? <laughs> on uh, where? FireAndWaterPodcast.tumblr.com. <laughs> and our email address is FireWaterPodcast at Comcast.net. Woohoo! And folks, we will be back. Oh, 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 I forgot to say. By the way, if you're looking for back episodes of this show. Oh, yes, yes, yes. yes. You, deserve uh, to, you deserve to take a bow for this. Wow, well, whatever. It's no big deal. But if you're looking for back episodes of this show, we've always kind of said, oh, it's a little hard. you got to go here to get it, blah, blah, blah. Well, we have fixed that. Uh, if, you're, if you're on iTunes. Yes? I said Shag fixed that. Oh. I'll take credit oh, well, for it. Okay. Come on, come on. All right, I'll take a bow, whatever. Uh, you, can, you can now find all of the episodes out there on iTunes. Uh, they're all there. They're in order. If you've been subscribing to the show, they might appear a little out of order. But if you've already subscribed to the show, they may. since the, all the old episodes came in later, it might appear a little bit out of order. But if you just look straight up at it out there, I promise you, they are out there. They're in order. They're all there. You can get all the episodes now. So uh, feel free to hit those old episodes if you haven't heard them. And, uh, you know, you can still send us comments on old shows. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, so. and, uh, and leave us iTunes reviews, too, as well. We've got a couple of new ones, I think, in the last couple of weeks. So we've read them on the air already, but uh, we always want new ones. They are incredibly helpful in getting the show noticed. And uh, so, and they only take like a second to write, as long as you write, you know, five stars, excellent podcast. So please, give us one of those. <laughs> Remember, right, Shag is the best. That's also That also helps. So. <laughs> was this review unhelpful? Yes, it was. Oh, wah, wah, wah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. Well, we'll talk to you again in about a week. Uh, in the meantime, fan the flame and ride the wave. Bye, guys. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in. Torch their hair Stand for truth and justice In sea, on land, in air Firestorm and Aquaman They make a super pair Aquaman and Firestorm Super friends forever Yeah!
Hey, you got a big mouth, Clayton. Hey, he happens to be right, you know. Yeah, it's a genetic quirk in the uh, Clavin family that we all have two extra teeth. It, you see, that's the only way that we can prove that we are the rightful heirs to the Russian throne. Hello in there, Cliff. <laughs> Tell me, what color is the sky in your world? 